this time, Dr. Dean Taylor is going to come up and share the word of God with us. Dr. Taylor is a professor at Faith Baptist Bible College and Seminary. He is pastoral studies, I believe, is where you're at. Uh, before that, he has pastored for 25 years, I believe, is what he said. Um, we also like him because he is a beekeeper, um, which uh, several of us at the church are beekeepers. Um, and Lynn, I promised this wouldn't go off, and it's, it has gone asleep and gone off, so I don't know if you can come up here and get this working again. So I'm going to ask Dr. Taylor to come up here, and uh, Lynn's going to get this working for you so you can advance your slides. Well, hello. Good morning. Everybody get uh, dug, dug, digged, dug out yesterday? <laughs> Good to see you. Uh, Faith and I live just a little bit outside of the area here, about 15 minutes away, and and uh, so we are enjoyed the trip in today. Beautiful snow on the trees, and it's, uh, it's beautiful when you're not shoveling it, right? For sure, or slipping around and sliding in it. I don't know if you remember, I remember being here, I think it was May or June uh, this past year that I was here and shared the word with you on one Sunday, and it's good to be back, and especially good to have my wife Faith with me this time. Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate that. So if I swipe across, that'll, that'll do what I want to do? Okay, perfect. All right. And if it goes to sleep, I'll wake you up and have you come wake this up, right? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, very glad to have my wife Faith here with me. And uh, Faith and I have enjoyed being in ministry together, in uh, pastoral ministry. I was the pastor. She was the pastor's wife. And now teaching together at Faith Baptist Bible College and enjoy that ministry as well. And we're delighted to be here with you and share the word with you today and also for the next couple of Sundays uh, here through the month of January. And then I'll also be here in the month of March. And what I would like to do during the time that I have with you is uh, look together at one book in the scriptures, and that is the book of Titus. And the theme that I have discerned and that I understand the book of Titus to be teaching us about is learning and living, learning and living. And I'll talk more about that as we go. But as we think about, whoops, that was a big swipe. There we go. As we think about learning and living... Uh, There's a little phrase that comes to my mind in connection with this idea of learning and living, and it is mind the gap. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before or not, but it actually originated in uh, London, England, in the train stations there, and when the train comes into the station and stops at the platform, there is a space between the edge of the platform and the car. So somebody stepping from the platform into the train car or stepping out of the train car onto the platform has to be careful because there's a gap there. And so in British terminology, the way they say it is mind the gap. And so there are uh, these words that are embedded in the tiles on the platform side, and there is a a uh, British voice uh, saying very kindly inside the train car recording that says, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. 
And the reason for that is because a passenger might not see that space or be thinking about that space and step into it and be badly hurt. And it's a warning. It's just a short phrase that reminds people to mind the gap. Well, what I want to talk with you about from the book of Titus is minding a different kind of gap. But it is a very real gap, just like this one. And it could be harmful to us, our Christian walk, our Christian lives, our testimony, our witness for the Lord. And that is the gap between what you know and how you live. The gap between what you know and how you live. How many of you know exercise is good for you? You can raise your hand on this one, okay? I won't make you raise your hand on the second one. Don't, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you exercise consistently? Okay, some of you do, right? Some of us work at it. We try. We drop it off. We pick it up again. So that, that's the idea, right? There, there can be a gap between what we know to be important, what we know to be true about how exercise helps us, and what we do with that and how we live accordingly. Uh, we know that certain kinds of food are bad for us. But sometimes we eat those foods anyway because they taste good and we like them. We know the benefits of saving money and, and the, the wonder of compounding interest. And yet how many of us start young and make regular deposits into savings accounts and retirement accounts? And you, you get the idea, right? There's often a gap between what we know and how we live. Well, the same is true in our Christian lives related to the Word of God. There can be a gap between what we know and how we live. We can know some of what God's Word says, or a great deal of what God's Word says, but we don't always live by it, and it doesn't always transform our lives. Well, we have a book of the Bible that deals with this problem, and it challenges us, and it helps us with this inconsistency. And it is this little book of Titus, and it is all about what you know, but also living according to what you know. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Titus, or even if you're looking at it now in your Bibles, you know it's a very compact book in the New Testament. Mine takes two pages in my Bible. It's a brief note that the Apostle Paul wrote to Pastor Titus. In fact, we hardly even think about it. Just the, the, the name of the book almost sounds kind of puny, right? Kind of insignificant. Titus, you know, what's, what's Titus? What's that? What could Titus have in it that's that essential and that critical for me? Well, it has a very specific purpose and a very powerful message in this little book. And the message is to close the gap between what you know and how you live. And so today we're going to start looking together at the book of Titus, and the title for our message today is The Christian Life in Three Parts, and we're going to learn about this from uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So let me read these verses for us. Titus chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time 
manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Two, Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let me pray for us again. Father, we look to you and know that we can only understand spiritual truth with your assistance. And so we ask for that and we declare our reliance on you to guide us, to help us with our limited ability to understand. But also, Lord, please help us uh, to um, fight off distractions. Help us to discipline our thoughts and to concentrate them on your word. Help us to pay attention to your word because it is the word of our living God. And we also pray that we would practice what we're talking about today, and that is to not only learn, but live by what it is that we understand today. So guide us, help us, energize us, we pray. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Paul had evidently led Titus to Christ, and Titus assisted Paul, and he, uh, Paul placed Titus on this island of Crete, and he wrote to him to instruct him and to encourage him in his ministry there. And you can imagine this little letter arriving by boat to the island of Crete, south of Greece in the Mediterranean Sea there. And here you have the return address, Paul. And you have the recipient, Titus. So return address, addressee, and then in between, he does kind of what we sometimes do in an email, and that is put the subject line. So right at the beginning, he tells Titus, what the subject is. And so we're going to look at this, uh, these verses, and see how Paul talks about the Christian life in three parts. And the first is, logically, the beginning. The beginning. Uh, Here is how God's work in your life begins. This is how your relationship with God starts. And we see here that God initiates salvation. God initiates your relationship with him. Right off, Paul uses this phrase, according to the faith of God's elect. Now, when we think of electing someone, what immediately comes to our minds in our context today? Well, we think of electing a candidate to office, don't we? And and there is some similarity here, because the idea of this word is to choose. So just like Uh, voters choose a candidate and elect that candidate, God elects. God makes a choice. So God's elect are those who are chosen by God. And Paul is saying that the people that he, Paul, ministered to as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ were actually chosen by God. Now, who were God's chosen people that we read about in our Old Testament? Those were the children of Israel, right? God chose them. God selected that nation, those descendants of Abraham, to favor them and to bless them and to bring them into a relationship with himself. As we transition to the New Testament, what we find after Christ, Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, is that God's elect refers to people God has called to salvation and who respond by believing in Jesus Christ. 
So we see here that salvation starts with God. Now, as we think about this, we start to have lots of questions and ideas and what about and what if. I just want to address a few elements of that with some simple thoughts here this morning. First of all, we, you and I, don't have to worry about whether or not God has chosen us. If he has called you, and if you respond in faith, then he has. God's side of salvation includes his foreknowledge, predestination, election, and his call, along with the work of Christ that provides free salvation to those who believe. That is God's side. Our side is what Paul identifies here as what? Faith, believing in Jesus Christ. And that's the side that we are responsible for. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says here. He says, the faith of God's elect. So he's identifying here that when we're talking about the starting point of our salvation, the beginning of our relationship with God, as we talk about the Christian life in three parts, it includes God's initiative, but also our response which is faith. God's choice does not change anything about your and my opportunity and responsibility to recognize our sin, to turn from it, to repent and believe the gospel and trust in Christ. That is our side. That is our part. So the faith of God's elect is what he's emphasizing here. He's saying, I've been ministering to people who have heard the gospel. I've been ministering to people in whose lives God has been at work. God has been drawing them to himself, and they've believed. And so he's identifying the fact that these are the people that he ministers to, people who have responded to the gospel with faith. So again, here are a few simple thoughts as we talk about the beginning point of the Christian life. You can believe. You can believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. And I'm probably talking to a group of people where many of you have. You would say, yes, I've turned from sin. I've acknowledged my sinfulness. I know Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I've believed the gospel. I have faith in Jesus. I have been saved. That's wonderful. If you have not. If you have never believed in Jesus, never trusted Jesus to save you, if you have never placed your personal trust in Jesus, you can. You can do that. In fact, God calls you to do that. I invite you to do that. I urge you to do that. And what this does for us is it helps us to realize that we can have what we sometimes call the assurance of salvation. We can know that God has saved us because we look and we say, you know what? God has worked in my life to bring me to a place where I believed in the gospel and he saved me. And you can have appreciation for that. You can praise God for that. You can sing songs about that and give thanks to God for your salvation. And this is how the Christian life begins, but it is only the beginning. Now, notice here what Paul says as he starts out the, the, the letter to Titus in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, who he's identifying his own work, his ministry, and his role. And then the, the next two little words, according to. Sometimes little, little words or phrases in the Bible that seem common are very significant. When Paul says according to, he means in harmony with, in line with. 
He's assuring Titus that what he is telling Titus and what he is instructing Titus to pass on to those people, those Christians in Crete, is in harmony with and is in line with the gospel and God's work in their life of drawing them to himself and saving them. He's saying, Titus, what I'm about to tell you, my ministry is according to, it's in line with, it's in harmony with their belief in Jesus Christ. And so this idea of learning truth and living by it, there's a corresponding relationship. There's a connection there. So Paul then goes right into part two. And I'll just call that the middle of the Christian life, the middle. So there's a beginning and there's a middle. And of course, you can guess what part three is, right? So part two is the middle of the Christian life. And if you are saved, if you're a Christian, this is where you are today. This is what you should be experiencing. And what he calls it here in verse 1 is the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. So what is included in the middle part of the Christian life? If you are saved, where are you today? And what is or what should be happening in your life? Well, first of all, if you're saved, you should be grasping spiritual realities. When he says the acknowledgement of the truth, let's think about what he's referring to there. Well, first of all, truth. Truth is reality. Truth is what you can build your life on. Do you believe there's such a thing as absolute reality? Do you think that there are facts, that there are realities present that exist today that are absolute, that are certain, that you can totally rely on, they're unchangeable, and you can build your life on? Now, let me ask you a question. If you were to, let's say during a a warmer, on a warmer day, a warmer time of year, uh, come down to this area, the Highland Park area, and go down to Euclid and 6th and Maybe walk around the intersection and maybe there'll be some people possibly walking and possibly in stores or restaurants or the coffee shop across the street. And you were to ask them the question I just asked you. Does truth exist? Are there absolute realities that never change? Are there facts and certainties that are timeless and unchangeable, and that you can build your life on? What do you think the response might be? It would probably be mixed, wouldn't it? So again, I'm assuming that in this room, there'd be a lot of agreement. Yes, there are absolute truths. There are spiritual realities. There are God-given certainties, and we can build our lives on those, and those guide our lives. They govern how we live. But if you were to ask that, to people that are outside of these walls in this community, you would probably get mixed answers, wouldn't you? In fact, there would be some that would say, no. You have your version of the truth, and I have my truth, and we can just all agree that we'll live accordingly. Some would say, no, there are no certainties that we should all build our lives on. What about this? There is truth and You can know it. 
as Paul says here, acknowledging or knowing the truth. There is truth, and you can know it. You can discern, you can learn, you can understand what those absolute certainties, those realities that you can build your life on are. If you were to ask that question, can you know truth? Can you know truths? In here, probably most would say yes. Maybe around us in our community here, many would say, I don't know, or absolutely not, which, of course, is an absolute, isn't it, if somebody says that? But there are mixed ideas about that. But here, God's word is telling us there is truth, and you can know it, can't you? Truth is reality. It is what you can build your life on. In Scripture, generally speaking, it's talking about biblical truth, but often specifically it's talking about the gospel truth, the realities of who Jesus is and who God is and our relationship with him and our need to trust in him and everything that goes with that. The word acknowledge, we sometimes, we, we, we might think that means to just, to just uh, recognize. Oh yes, okay, I think that's the case. But really the word acknowledge here is deeper. In fact, some translations just use the word knowledge. It represents the meaning of knowing deeply, knowing something deeply, knowing something completely, apprehending. I like to check the amplified version of the Bible sometimes. It's really kind of a paraphrase. It gives explanatory phrases for Bible verses. And here's what the the amplified Bible says about this acknowledging the truth. It says, accurate discernment and recognition of an acquaintance with the truth. Accurate discernment and recognition of an acquaintance with the truth. That's where I get the word grasping from. It means you apprehend it. You, you get it. Maybe you've taken a complicated math class and you're learning formulas. Maybe it's algebra. Maybe it's geometry. And the teacher gives examples and you do worksheets. And finally it clicks. And you say, I get it. I know how to do this now. That's the idea of this word to acknowledge. It means to grasp it, to apprehend it, for it to click, for it to make sense for you, for you to understand it. Or learning to jump rope or hit a baseball or repair an engine or debug a computer and you've read the instructions, you've watched the videos or somebody has showed you how to do it and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and all of a sudden it works and you can do it. Say, I've got it. I did it. That's the idea of this word, acknowledge. And so it's more than just knowing about it. It's grasping it. Now, keep in mind our overall theme of the book of Titus, which is what? In fact, go ahead and tell me out loud. Well, what's the overall theme of the book of Titus we're talking about? Not the three parts of salvation, but the other one. What is it? What is it? Mind the gap. Great. Okay. That's the little saying. And then the other one, learning and living, right? So mind the gap between learning and living. So learning and living. So I want you to see where that is right in this verse. The acknowledgement of the truth, we would call that learning, which accords with godliness. So now we're making a connection. Now Paul is linking our acknowledgement of the truth with how we live, isn't he? And this is where the gap is. Remember the the phrase according to that Paul used earlier in verse 1? Well, he uses it again, which accords with, which is in line with, which harmonizes with. So he says, you acknowledge the truth 
And when you do that, that needs to line up. That needs to be in harmony. Your life needs to reflect your knowledge of the truth, is the idea here. Again, I'll give you the amplified version. Which belongs to and harmonizes with and tends to godliness. So acknowledging the truth harmonizes with and tends to. We might say it it leans toward, it moves us toward godliness. So we're talking about grasping truth and then that producing godliness in our lives. Grasping truth, spiritual realities, and then living them out. Living them out. Now what is godliness? Here's a kind of a definition for you. Godliness is having attitudes and conduct that please God. Godliness is having attitude and conduct that pleases God. In fact, we might even say it reflects who God is, right? Godliness. It reflects the character of God as that can be formed and developed in us. So it's, an attitude, it's attitudes and conduct that please God. Another way of saying it is godliness is a Godward passion and God-honoring practice. A Godward passion. So it's more than just behavioral. It's more than just, just doing things. It starts in the heart, doesn't it? Godliness. A heart toward God. A passion toward God. Godward passion and God-honoring practice. So our lives, our conduct, how we talk to people, how we treat each other, that reflects that Godward passion. That is godliness. And that summarizes the middle of the Christian life grasping these spiritual realities and living them out. And if we would be honest, we would say this is where we often fail. We can learn the doctrines, we can know the Bible, we can memorize the facts, we can give the right answers, but the gap is often the godliness part, isn't it? Living them out consistently. Making truth practical. Having attitudes and motives, the motives of our hearts, our thought processes, how we communicate, our reactions, our decisions, what we do with our money, how we spend our time, all of these areas reflect a passion for God and honor God and show that we are living in a way that corresponds to the truth that we know. I'd like to encourage all of us today, but also as we go through uh, this, this book of the Bible together, to, to be thinking about areas where there may be a gap. Areas of inconsistency. Areas where you know you need to grow. Or God may show you you need to grow and bring your life into alignment with the truth that you know. Maybe things that you know that you know but don't do. There is truth and you can know it. The truth that you know should transform how you live. Now, I want to do a quick little survey here through this book of Titus and show you how Titus is about learning and living and closing the gap between them. I want you to see how Paul sounds the note of that theme through this little book. So we've seen it here in verse 1. I look at verse 16. And you see the word they at the beginning of verse 16. So Paul's referring to 
the people around the Cretan Christians, the Christians in Crete, but especially there were some influencers who were leading them astray. So there were individuals who were, were teaching wrong messages, but also uh, they, were, they were living ungodly lives. They were being bad examples to the Christians in Crete. And, and so Paul tells Titus about these, these influencers in verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. You see it? This is now a contrast. He's saying, hey, there are influences and some bad examples for the Christians, Titus, that you are pastoring and ministering to. And they, they say they know God. They say they grasp spiritual realities, but their lives contradict it. Right? So you see the disconnect. You see the gap that's there. And so those, these Christians in Crete needed to hear, that's not good. That isn't correct. You need to not follow their example. You need to connect learning with living. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, as for you, so now, now Paul is uh, giving Titus some of the contents for his disciple-making efforts. Speak the things which are proper or suitable, or appropriate, or fitting for sound doctrine. So which of those words would you say reflects the learning part? Doctrine, right? Sound doctrine. Not only doctrine, but good, healthy, pure, true doctrine. So he says, Titus, they need to not only know the truth in the form of doctrine, but they need to know the things which are proper, how to live in a way that corresponds to that truth. Is what he's talking about there. Uh, Look at verse 5. He's talking here about what the older women should teach the younger women. And you see the end of verse 5. I'll read the whole verse. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. In other words, teach them to live in a way that doesn't contradict the word of God. And bring God's word into disrepute. And you see a similar idea in verse 10, speaking about um, servants or slaves not pilfering. Excuse me, verse 11. No, it's verse 10, sorry. Verse 10, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God in all things. So not only know the doctrines and be able to quote the verses and you know, give the theological points, but live in a way that actually causes people to view those doctrines in a positive way and say, wow, it makes them look twice. It turns their heads in a good way. Adorn it with your life is what he's saying. Beautiful terminology there. Now, the heart of this book is in verses 11 down through verse 14. And again, you'll see this theme here of learning and living. Look with me starting in chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, there's the learning side, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live, there's the living side, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, And purify for himself his own special people, 
zealous for good works. And you see it there, right? The learning side, the living. God's grace, the gospel, teaches us not just so that we can have big heads and know the answers and all that, but so we can live in a way that God intends for us to as his people. We also see it in chapter 3, verse 8, where he says, this is a faithful saying, chapter 3, verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. So believe in the gospel, learn the truths, but also give attention, pay attention, be diligent, put effort into living that out in these very specific and practical ways. And then verse 14, all the way to the end, chapter 3, verse 14, let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. So you can see how Paul was sending his message through Titus as his agent that the people there needed to not only learn, but also live and to close the gap. So again, I would encourage all of us to be thinking about ways this may be happening in our lives Ways that we need to grasp truths and live them out. And as we go through this study, or as God even shows you on your own, confess those to God when you don't, and receive his forgiveness. He is gracious. And receive his grace that enables you to grow. Now let me point something else out very important. Look back here in chapter 2. And you'll notice that uh, he identifies some demographical groups in verse 2, older men. Verse 3, older women. Verse 4, young women. Uh, verse 6, young men. So he breaks it down here by age categories that we'll talk about another time. But what I want to point out is that who is supposed to be doing all this? We all are, aren't we? Nobody's left out. And not only does he say that we should all be doing these, but he tells the older men, the older women to do what? Teach them, doesn't he? So you might kind of feel like you have grown, and as far as you know, things are fairly consistent. And that's a blessing to be able to think that way, between what you know and how you're living. We can always all grow, but maybe you've reached a place of maturity, and that's wonderful. But that's a time for you to turn around and help others, isn't it? To bring them along, to mentor them, to disciple them, to be examples to them and encourage them. And so that's part of learning, a very important part of learning and living as well. So I, I encourage all of us to be open to God showing us ways to close the gap between what we know and how we live as we go through this book of Titus. Now, we, there is a part three to the Christian life that Paul includes back at the beginning of his letter in chapter one, verse two. So he talks about the faith of God's elect, there's the beginning of the Christian life. The acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, there's the middle of the Christian life. And now, I'm using the word end, but I, it's not like the end, like it terminates, but the end in the sense of it now comes to completion. It reaches its fullness, as he says in verse 2, in hope of eternal life. Eternal life. And... The way Paul says this encourages us to anticipate with confidence. 
That's what's contained in the word hope. It means to eagerly and confidently wait for. Hope implies that what you are waiting for hasn't happened yet. So there's a time period in which it's not happening. It hasn't arrived. You are anticipating it, but it hasn't become a reality for you yet. And in this case, in Scripture, hope does not mean that you're wishing or dreaming, longing necessarily, but, but aren't sure. This is the idea of confidence, isn't it? So it's anticipating with confidence. So, so he tells us to anticipate what's happening with confidence. And, and we do experience elements of eternal life now, but we will experience it in its fullness. And for that we wait, and we are confident. Does the world around us have hope? Again, I think there's a distinction, isn't there? In fact, you and I probably see many symptoms of desperation in the lives of the people around us, from individuals who we know and work with and in our communities, all the way up into areas of government and politics. We are living in a time, and I know this is very tender and very personal for you here. Uh, We live in a time when the reality of our lives coming to an end, and in some cases what we might consider prematurely, is, is more and more on people's minds, isn't it? Just that possibility, that reality. And people we know, people we love are experiencing this. But if you don't have the Lord, if you don't have the assurance of eternal life, that can turn into despair and very real fear. And people are afraid, aren't they? And there are people who want to be in control and to to dictate everything you do. Or people want to be in control and not have anything dictated to them, right? And even there, I I think there's a sense of of desperation. I just want to be in charge. I want to take care of this. Whether it's somebody in leadership or our own individual lives. There's desperation, isn't there? There's a lack of hope. And Christians are different. And we should be different in that, shouldn't we? Christians should be distinguished by hope. Anticipating with confidence. Yes, I mean, I don't think any of us wants to die prematurely. We want to live our lives. But if that happens, or whenever death comes, it's a doorway, isn't it? A doorway of hope into eternal life with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's pointing them to. He says the hope of eternal life. He's he's pointing them forward. This is what we're living to. This is what we're living for. This is what we're confident in and we're anticipating and looking forward to. And I think his language also encourages us to look back, but also to look ahead. He says, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So Paul now looks back beyond when the curtain opened on life as we know it. To eternity past, if you want to think of it that way. God's dwelling in infinity, in eternality. And he says, God then purposed, and God then declared, and God then decided, and God then promised that there would be this 
reality of eternal life. And this is a God who cannot lie. What a magnificent description of our God. God cannot deceive you and God will not deceive you. This is truth. This is reality. And we can anchor our hope in the promise of God. Because God has an eternal purpose. And because God has made an unbreakable promise. We can live for God now. And we can look forward to living with God for eternity. With 100% absolute certainty. And that makes the difference in our lives, doesn't it? That distinguishes us. That encourages us. And so, as a result, Paul says this about himself, but I think there's an implication for us as well. In verse 3, but he has, he promised it in due time, or before time began, but has in due time, in his time, in the appropriate time, which for Paul was now, and continues now for us, manifested his word through preaching. There's another beautiful phrase, and for anybody who is a preacher, that just rings a bell for us. God manifested his word through preaching. And for Paul, he was preaching the gospel. He was preaching the mystery. He was spreading the good news. His word refers to, yes, the the overall message, but specifically the gospel, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So Paul says, I'm getting the word out. And again, there's an implication for us, isn't there? We have this reality. We hold to this hope. We know about eternal life. We should not hoard it to ourselves and hide it from anybody else, but publish it, as Paul was doing. If you're a preacher, preach it. If you're a Christian, give testimony of it. The reality of it in your life and the truths of it from God's word. Uh, Look over at 1 Peter 3, a few pages over. To the right, this text came to mind. First Peter 3, and look at verse 13. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now there's some good encouragement for us in our day. I mean, we, we face some opposition, and that may be growing as Christians in this world that we live in. But can anybody really hurt us? Not if you have eternal life. But then look at what he says. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And don't be afraid of their threats, and don't be troubled. So, so rather than be in fear and panic and desperation... In contrast to that, what does he say Christians should do? Verse 15, but sanctify, set apart, consider holy the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There it is. So if you have hope and that stands out and you are not caving to the pressures and You are not wilting under the pressure. You're not giving up. And God's grace staying strong, you will have opportunities to talk to people who say, what's up? Why do you act that way? Why aren't you concerned? Why are you so different? 
And you can say, thanks for asking. I'd love to share that with you. And share with them the hope of eternal life that you have. Now, I'll go back to Titus chapter 1. And uh, just a glance at Paul's comments there, especially in verse 4. He talks about Titus. Again, Paul had probably led him to Christ. He calls him his son in the faith. And our common faith, so, so there's faith in Christ. What we believe about Jesus, we share that, we hold that in common. Um, Titus assisted Paul, and he grew to the point where when Paul left him with a group of Christians to lead and feed there in Crete, Paul sent some follow-up instructions. Crete, that he identifies uh, there in verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete, was, some, was a pretty tough place to minister. And I won't read, read it right now, but in verses 10 through 13, he talks about the kind of people who live there and that they really were what people called them. So Titus' place of ministry was this island in the Mediterranean Sea, south of Greece, where he was supposed to teach Christians to learn and live. What's your place of ministry? What's the place of ministry for Northridge Baptist Church? Where is your Crete? I think we would say that your Crete is here. I'm learning about this area. Uh, When um, Scott Owen communicated with me about preaching here for several weeks, I'd been here, you know, back back in the spring, and I thought, it's close, it's like 15 minutes from our house, and I just want to see it. And so I drove down here and uh, drove past the church here on 6th Avenue, right? There's streets, places, now 6th Avenue. So 6th Avenue, and went past the church building and came to the light. There was a line of cars. And I was going to turn left and kind of go down that direction, turn around and come back. And the uh, turn light was yellow, one of those yellow flashing turn arrows, There was no green, it was just yellow, and it was flashing yellow. So I'm waiting, and there was a car in front of me, and that car waited through the full cycle of that yellow because there there was a stream of cars coming north, coming this direction. So he got through when that stream stopped, kind of, you know, zoomed through under the pink light, and and then I waited for a cycle. So again, turns green, have left yellow arrow, line of cars, keeps streaming north, and the last one gets through, and whoosh, I make it through before it turns completely red uh, to go left. And I thought, wow, this is a busy place. And I don't know how many, who knows how many hundreds or thousands of cars go past your building. This was 4 o'clock on a weekday afternoon. I wonder, this is how my mind works, I wonder if you put a sandwich, one of those sandwich signs, not advertising sandwiches, but, you know, it looks like a sandwich, a sandwich sign, out there and said, does truth exist? Discussion at 5 (laughs) p.m. I wonder if anybody would turn in, poke their head in. I don't know. Who knows? But I think you all know the potential that's here, don't you? You, you? You see it. You've lived it. You're connected to it. What an amazing opportunity last year. This is your Crete. Are there some liars and slow bellies out there? (laughs) Uh, Probably. But is our role to fortress ourselves from them? No. Our role is to take gospel hope to them, isn't it? And share it with them. 
And that was the mission that, that Paul committed and entrusted to Titus and urged him to adopt and give himself to and gave him instruction for doing that. In the same way, in your Crete, whether it's in this community or wherever you live and you work or you go to school, you have the opportunity to teach others about faith and about life and about eternity, don't you? In verse 4, this is not filler. These are not throwaway words. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For a Christian, those are beautiful words, aren't they? Those are spiritual realities. Those are not just nice words to open up a letter with. These are blessings that are yours through Christ, aren't they? In in fact, the, the grace, God's free favor that's ours because of what Jesus Christ has provided for us, God's grace, is what he introduces back over in chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, and it teaches us to live what we know, to live what we've learned, doesn't it? So God's grace is, is a great blessing, but it's also instructive. It motivates, it compels us. And he ends the letter with grace as well, all the way down in chapter 3, verse 15. Grace be with you all. Amen. Calling upon God's favor, God's assistance, God's supply to make it possible for us to do these things. So where are you in life? Do you need to start the Christian life? Do you need to begin by learning the truth about God and who he is and about sin and what it does to your relationship with God and about Jesus Christ and that he died in your place and rose again? And what do you need to learn about faith, about believing in Jesus and trusting him as your savior and living for him? Maybe, maybe you're at the beginning point. And if so, I know that there are people here who would love to talk with you and help you take that first step in the Christian life. If you have taken that step, Rejoice, give thanks, rest in the assurance that you have. Maybe you're in the middle, grasping truths and living them out. That is a cycle, that is the rhythm of life for Christians, grasping truths, sometimes learning them for the first time, other times uh, reminding yourself of them, keeping them in the forefront of your mind, reviewing them, learning them more deeply, in more detail, but then closing the gap between grasping truth and living it out between what you know and how you live. And I would encourage all of us again to commit to that. Will you commit to having that rhythm of life, of learning and living, grasping it, grasping those truths and becoming more and more godly, and doing so especially over the next weeks that we spend in this book? What about the end? Well, we're looking forward to that, aren't we? To being with our Savior and having the hope of eternal life. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Father, thank you so much for how your word guides us and blesses us and shapes us. And I pray that would be the case here in what we've talked about today. Thank you for the man, Paul. Thank you for the man, Titus. Thank you for the the miraculous inspiration of the scriptures through which this little transmission from Paul to Titus is the word of God. And contains truth for us today. So may we not only learn it, but also live by it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.